Hi there, my fellow game devs, and welcome to the All Things Unity podcast. My name is Ruben, and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we are going to continue our discussion about the book called A Philosophy of Software Design by John R. Austerhout. Last time, we got up to chapter 10, and we discussed many interesting things, like what John thinks is the fundamental problem in computer science, problem decomposition. How should we divide a a large problem into multiple small problems we can solve and can fit in our brains? And we also discussed the two mindsets John thinks uh, programmers have, either tactical or strategic. I think it's probably a combination of both, depending on the situation, of course, and experience. And next, we discuss one of the more famous concepts in this book, and it's the concept of deep and shallow modules. We want most modules to be deep, but also value shallow modules for specific purposes and situations. This is one of these topics I might not fully agree with, John, but still, shallow modules are often really nice utilities to have. And then we also discuss the concept of information hiding and leakage. This is such an important concept to grasp. Information leakage can cause a lot of harm to a system because it increases complexity on many fronts. So if you want to know why, go back and listen to the first part of this series about a philosophy of software design. And then in the previous episode, we discussed chapter 5 to 10. We took a look at how general-purpose modules are often deeper and simpler. General-purpose code is often much easier to understand and maintain, although you might spend some extra time up front creating it in the first place. And then we also discussed chapter 7. This was all about the fundamental aspect in software uh, design, layers. All software is composed of layers, and there is simply no escaping from this principle. We build layer upon layer of abstraction to reduce the cognitive load of things. And next, we also talked about chapter 8, pulling complexity downwards. And in this chapter, we discuss to always try to keep complexities within certain bounds. Try to encapsulate and hide complexities, and don't bother colors of your code with such matters. And in chapter 9 is about better together or better apart. When does it make sense to combine classes and put things together? Or when would it be better to separate concepts? These are important questions to ask, and again, also fundamental to software. We discussed this in the previous episode, so go back and have a listen if you haven't. And the last chapter we took a look at in the previous episode was all about defining errors out of existence. As I said before, this is one of these principles like deep and shallow modules uh, where this book uh, gets its popularity from. This is such a cool concept that will make sense to all developers no matter the level of experience. And if this chapter does not make sense to you, I encourage you to go uh, listen to the previous episode or better yet, read the chapter of the or the entire book for, for yourself for that matter. And in today's episode, we are going to cover chapter 11, 12 and the first part of chapter 13. We are going to dive into a chapter called Design It Twice, which is a really cool concept. Professor Austerhout explains you can find trade-offs in multiple designs you made and pick the best one, or combine them to make your grand design. 
and your first design is rarely the best one you can come up with. And it's a cool concept and we're going to dive into it in this episode. And after that, we are going to dive into chapter 12, which is all about why people do not write comments and the excuses they have. This highly contradicts the practices in clean code. And I would like to point out a little warning here that I might seem a bit pessimistic while talking about this, since I do not agree with a couple of things Professor Aussaud says. But in the end of the episodes, we will find some middle ground where I think we can all agree. And if not, um, please let me know what you think. And the last chapter we will start to cover in today's episode is chapter 13. And that's all about what types of comments are useful and how to write them. There are again a couple of contradictions to clean code in this chapter. So it's really interesting to review this information. Uh, And again, in the end, we will find some middle ground. So in this episode, we will not cover uh, chapter 13 uh, fully. Uh, We will only start the discussion about chapter 13. Um, And we will continue our discussion about it in the next episode. So uh, be sure to listen to the next one as well. But all right, I think we should quickly start off with the first chapter of this episode, which is chapter 11, Design It Twice. And well, I think the title of the chapter already spoils what it's about. John says that designing software is hard and thus it is unlikely that you will have the best design at your very first try or iteration. He says you'll end up with a much better design if you design it twice or even more. Uh, Try to pick uh, approaches that are radically different from each other since you'll learn more that way. He even says that when you already have a perfectly reasonable approach, try to take another one uh, that no matter how bad it might seem in the first place. It might be really helpful to consider both designs strong and weak points. Thus you can compare them and maybe end up with something in between. And I personally think this is such a great idea. How many times have you designed some system, implemented it immediately and then found out it wasn't really the best approach? It certainly happened to me before. I've been in situations where everything was just thrown away since the uh, first approach was not correct. But that that also had to do with like incomplete requirements as well. But I still think that if I would have designed it multiple times, I may have gotten a better solution the first time I implemented it. Uh, I won't bore you with the details of the feature, so let's continue with the book. And Professor Aushaus said that once you have compared alternatives, you are in a better position to identify the best design. He also says that maybe none of those alternatives might be the best choice. And you find out, um, you like when you combine the two, you will end up with something that is really good. This is exactly what I described just a second ago. Um, he's totally right. And he then continues uh, saying that the design it twice approach can be applied in all levels in a system. So for some class or module, you, you, your first design uh, is interface. And when you have made a choice for the interface, you design the implementation. And John says, uh, when you design an implementation, most of the time the main goals are to focus on simplicity and performance. But it's also very helpful to explore multiple designs at higher levels of abstraction, like when you need to decompose your system into components. 
and it's always easier to compare approaches when you have a few alternatives, so you might want to design something more than twice. And then he says something that I think might be a bit overreaching, and I'll quote Professor Oosterhuis directly. He says that, and I quote, Designing it twice does not need to take a lot of extra time. For a smaller module, such as a class, you may not need more than an hour or two to consider alternatives. This is a small uh, amount of time compared to the days or weeks you spend on implementing the class. And I mean, uh, taking just an hour or two for designing just a single class and then spending days or weeks just implementing this one class? Wow, isn't that like a bit much? I've never taken such a long time uh, to let alone design a class's interface and taken weeks to implement just a single class. I think we have uh, found a really large contrast to clean code here. And in one of his lectures, John also says that he doesn't really care how large a class is, as long as its interface is simple and clear. And I'll put that talk into the show notes, by the way. Um, <clears throat> and on the other hand, Uncle Bob wants you to write really small classes that adhere to the single responsibility principle. And with such classes, you won't spend such a long time on design and implementation. And I personally agree more with Uncle Bob here. I would rather design a system from smaller classes than just a couple of really large ones. You can make these classes internal or protected to your consumers and so they won't be able to see them. So you hide all these small classes behind a simple interface, which is implemented in some public class. But I think John will also agree with this. And I also think that this is what he meant by that quote. I can't imagine he wants you to create like a 5,000 line long class. I suspect he wants you to break them up as well and hide their implementation. This would mean you could indeed spend a couple of hours on designing some class. But in that case, I would call it a component or module since it will hide all these internal classes uh, inside uh, its namespace. And then you can spend days or even weeks on implementing that component. But then again, he mentions that for larger modules, you might spend even more time on designing it. Here, the value of designing it twice will really show its value. Since the impact uh, of the size of modules is higher, you really need to think things through properly before you start implementing. And then he has something pretty funny, uh, and I'll simply quote him. I have noticed that the design it twice principle is sometimes hard for really smart people to embrace. When they are growing up, smart people discover that their first quick idea about any problem is sufficient for a good grade. There is no need to consider a second or third possibility. This makes it easy to develop bad work habits. However, as these people get older, they get promoted into environments with harder and harder problems. And eventually, everyone reaches a point where your first idea uh, is no longer good enough. If you want to get really, really great results, you have to consider a second possibility, or perhaps a third, no matter how smart you are. End quote. <laughs> and I mean... Isn't that funny? He's, he's so right. Um, when designing a large system, your first idea is probably not the best one. You shouldn't go with your first try. 
Uh, the design it twice approach will not just improve the quality of your design, but also your skills to design a software system. The process of creating and comparing multiple designs will teach you about the factors that made the design better or worse. And over time, this will make it easier for you to rule out bad designs and hone in on the really great ones. So, John is so right about all this. Designing things twice or more is often such a great idea, everyone should apply more. If everyone would do this, I bet our games would become much simpler and have less bugs. I also think that if you design things twice and ask your colleagues about their opinions about those designs, you will grow and learn a great deal as a team. This way you can keep everyone educated and familiar with all the systems in your game. But alright, that's it for chapter 11, design it twice. What do you think about this practice? Do you like it? And have you applied it yourself before? And what do you think about spending hours upon hours of designing an implementation of just a single class? Let me know in the comments or send me an email at podcast at allthingsunity.com. And so let's continue with chapter 12, which is going to be interesting. And chapter 12 is called Why Write Comments? The four excuses. And it highly contrasts or contradicts the advice given in clean code. I personally, well, hate comments in code. There, I said it. I feel most comments are just clutter and agree with Uncle Bob on his statements that comments are a failure of expressing ourselves through code. But then again, in the clean code episode about comments, we also discuss the comments that are generally good or acceptable to have in code. Like, for example, these massive legal comments at the top of your file, which we simply need for legal reasons. Or comments that describe how, like, regular expression works. Um, since no sensible human can really read or understand uh, recognize, like, after a week that you wrote the damn thing. Or comments that serve as documentation generation purposes. So, let's see what Professor Austerhout says about comments. And he starts off by saying that in-code documentation plays a crucial role in software design and that comments are essential to help developers understand this system to work efficiently. He even goes as far as saying that in-code documentation as comments plays such an important role that without them you cannot hide complexity. The process of writing comments, if done correctly, will improve the system's design. And damn, I simply cannot disagree more than I already do. I'm on a totally different planet here. I disagree with Professor Austerhout because, as Uncle Bob says, comments often lie and spread misinformation. They can be useful, but they really need to be maintained properly, and often they will not, since we as programmers write code, not comments or documentation. I will even dare to say that over like 90% of programmers despise the act of writing documentation. And I however do agree with John when he says that good software design loses much of its value when it's poorly documented. This is totally true. But I think we have far better and more modern means of documentation, like wikis for example. 
like we at work uh, use Atlassian Confluence, where all the technical designs, decisions, UML diagrams, and everything can be found. Everything is documented there, and thus we do not use the comments for these purposes. And then also, I would like to point out that the unit and integration tests are used as documentation as well. So given a piece of code, there are unit tests that document how it ought to work. This is the best technical documentation there is, in my opinion, because tests can never, ever be out of sync with the system, and they are so formal that they can execute and produce some results. So no comments for me, please. And John says that many developers think that comments are a waste of time, yet others see value in comments but do not know how to write them or never get around to actually writing them. And trust me, this just sounds as developers needing to write documentation. Why would you write such documentation and comments in source code files? I think this is such a weird practice. Why would you write such documentation in the source code? What do you think about this? Please let me know if you like. And then John says that the remainder of this chapter will describe the four excuses why developers don't write comments. And then in chapter 13, he will dive a little bit deeper into this subject and teach you how to actually write good comments. So let's dive into these four excuses and then continue with chapter 13 to see what he says about it. So the four excuses not to write comments are, and I quote, one, good code is self-documenting. Two, I don't have time to write comments. Three, comments get out of date and become misleading. And four, the comments I have seen are worthless, so why bother? <laughs> right, those are four reasons that really sound like something I would say myself. It's exactly what I've been ranting about this past couple of minutes. So let's explore what he has to say about it. And let's start with the first one. Good code is self-documenting. And he says that some people believe that if code is written well, it is obvious that no comments are needed. He says this is a myth and simply not true. And he admits you can do a lot of things to improve the understandability of your code, like choosing good names for variables, functions, and classes. And I agree. I think Uncle Bob would agree as well. But then he says something I oppose greatly, and I'll quote uh, Professor Austerheit directly, since I do not want to translate it wrong. And he says, and I quote, there is still a significant amount of design information that can't be represented in code. For example, only a small part of a class's interface, such as its signature of its methods, can be specified formally in the code. The informal aspect of an interface, such as high-level design descriptions of what the module does or meaning of its results, can only be described in comments. And I mean, I disagree heavily here. Has he ever considered domain-driven design? where you design your domain language and objects together with subject matter experts and your team. This way you can describe these informal parts perfectly, like method calls and also their result objects. You don't need comments for this. I think it would be really horrible to describe all of this in comments. And he then says that sometimes you need to describe the rationale for a specific implementation in comments. 
And yeah, I somewhat agree with him here. Uh, this is also something Uncle Bob would find acceptable. However, writing this in comments is no excuse for actual proper documentation in some place it actually belongs. I know most of us will hate writing documentation, but if there are such things uh, of such importance, then you want to write a comment about it. Um, you can also document your rationale uh, for this specific implementation somewhere else. You might as well just document it in your technical design or your game design document. And he also says that you should document why and when and under which circumstances you can call a specific method. And I think you can also avoid this if you have your domain model set up correctly. But I also agree with him, uh, and I've done this myself too. Um, I, I sometimes add summaries to properties or methods and classes when I think the comment would be valuable. But I find that these cases are really, really rare. And he then continues on by saying that many developers think people should read the method body if they want to know what it does. And thus methods are very short and everything is abstracted out. And thus you end up with many little functions that are really shallow. John says that this does not make uh, code easier to read. It makes code harder to read. Since when you need to understand some class or module, you will need to read everything anyway. And thus, you will read all these little extracted low-level functions anyway. And I disagree again. In clean code, there is this concept uh, that your class should follow like a newspaper style of writing. Starting with abstract matters, and the further you read, the more detailed things become. Uncle Bob says this is polite. If you need to know what a module does, just read it until you have the information you need. And since everything is wrapped in nicely named functions, you do not need to read all these internals. And he says something really interesting, which might even change your opinion about all this, uh, about this view on comments. He says that comments are fundamental to abstraction. And in chapter 4, the first episode of the podcast about this book, we talked um, <coughs> that the, about that the goal of abstraction is to hide complexity. If users read the code of a method in order to use it, there is no abstraction. Without any comments, uh, the only abstraction is the method declaration, which specifies its name and... Um, the types and arguments of and results of the function. The declaration is missing too much essential information to provide a useful abstraction itself. And he also gives a very nice example here, which I really agree with, by the way, and that's uh, for a function like substring again. He talked about this in uh, like previous chapters of his book as well. And like this function, substring, uh, it has a start and an end index, but there is no way to indicate whether the end index is inclusive or exclusive. And yeah, I agree, this would be a nice opportunity to add a summary to a function which explains these things. Yet I still think in many cases, uh, maintaining a correct domain uh, beats any comments in code. 
but he's right that for such low-level functions as substring, for example, you might as well add some summary to the function with those details. It's just that these comments allow you to capture additional information that the callers need and thereby completing the simplified view while hiding implementation details. And yeah, he's right that there are these comments that can augment the details uh, of your code. But I would suggest only to add summaries and not randomly scattered inlined comments everywhere. These inlined comments will clutter your code. But these summaries are generally helpful. I definitely agree. Also, when you write proper summaries for properties, methods, classes, and fields or whatever, then they will show up in your IDE when calling this code. But I also want to remind you of another piece of advice from Clean Code, and that is to only add these summaries when they actually add valuable information. If you add, for example, a summary above a variable called time that says time, there is no benefit and thus it is just clutter. Don't add these summaries in a dogmatic way, and then <clears throat> where you where where you make sense, you add them with some well with some proper information. So that's it for his first excuse on not to write comments. And I'm still not really convinced I should write any based on this. I do agree that summaries can uh, help in some situations, but I would not call uh, a summary a comment. To me. A comment is some random inline or block comment that describes some code. But to John, it seems that comments serve as the main source of documentation, which I think is not a great idea. But alright, uh, I hope I wasn't all this negative. Um, so yeah, let's uh, uh, continue with the next excuse, okay? But before we do that, let's set something straight before we continue with the next excuse not to write comments. I think I may have been overreacting a little bit um, and I want to make the differentiation between comments and what we call summaries in a C-sharp context. Summaries are comments um, too in some sense, but they will also show up in your IDE through IntelliSense and are also used when generating documentation uh, with something like Doxygen. Straight-up comments, on the other hand, are, in my opinion, these random inline or block comments that are just there. They do not show up uh, through IntelliSense and also won't appear when generating documentation. So summaries are kinds of comments I would say are good, and they are exactly what Professor Austerhaus has been describing till now, I think. However, the other random comments I would say are just clutter and totally unnecessary. So I guess we found some middle ground here. What do you think about this? Please let me know. Maybe I'm just being picky. Um, but yeah, let's continue with the book. And next up is the excuse, I don't have time to write comments. <laughs> and John says it's tempting to prioritize uh, comments lower than development tasks. And I agree. I definitely prefer developing features over writing documentation that is read like once a year or when you need uh, like new recruits that join the dark side. But on the other hand, we have, uh, we have technical designs with rationale and discussions uh, uh, and even artwork in our Confluence pages, which is really, really helpful. 
I just don't see why you would add all this in your source files, which I feel like John keeps hinting at. Although that's probably not what he wants you to do. As I said before, it feels like John wants uh, that that comment should be your main source of documentation. Um, Professor Osterhaus says that often developing new features are prioritized over documentation uh, about existing features. And since most uh, software or game projects are under immense pressure to get things done uh, on time, documentation is often like a side task that never gets done. And yeah, uh, I agree, this is often the case. Um, You should make time for documentation or else you will end up without it. He says that this is part of the strategic mind and an investment mindset. If you want to keep a good software structure, which will allow you to work efficiently over the long term, you really need this documentation. And again, I totally agree. I just don't agree with the fact that John wants you to write all this in comments and not use proper documentation elsewhere. He says you should probably spend like 10% of your time writing comments. And then he says something interesting, which uh, which I will quote. Many of the most important comments are those related to abstractions, such as top-level documentation for classes and methods, end quote. And I agree, but these comments ought to be summaries which pop up in your IDE with IntelliSense. If the comments do not pop up while writing code, they are not really as useful uh, as John might think they are. You might never read them if they don't pop up. Then, the next excuse not to write comments is comments get out of date and become misleading. And I feel like this is coming straight from clean code. This is one of the most important side effects of comments as described in clean code. Uncle Bob says that comments are not maintained well and thus get out of date and they spread lies about the code and mislead the reader of the code. And Professor Austerhout says he will get back to this subject in a later chapter, chapter 16. Comments do sometimes get out of sync with the code, but that does not have to be a major problem. It should not take that much time to maintain these comments. He also says that code reviews are a means of detecting and fixing stale comments. Yeah, I agree. I've seen many times that during code review uh, for pull requests, comments are pointed, pointed out. Most of the time, we delete them since we don't want them in the code anyway, since they are old and wrong anyway. But I still agree that code reviews are a nice way to control uh, and detect old comments and point out that they should be updated or deleted. And the last excuse not to write comments is, all the comments I have seen are worthless. And yup, this is something I would agree on. Just because most comments are simply a duplicate of the code, yet described in natural language instead of a formal language, like code. So I prefer reading the code instead of the comments, uh, since the the code cannot lie, but the comment can, and thus most comments are worthless. Professor Outside does not give much advice to this specific uh, excuse, and he just says that it's not hard to write proper documentation, and he will teach you uh, about it in the upcoming chapters. So we'll see what he has to say uh, about this in future chapters. He then finishes this chapter off with some comments about the benefits of well-written comments. And 
I have a feeling I will agree with most of what he is going to say. He starts off by saying that he hopes he changed the reader's minds, so ours, that comments are a good thing. And yeah, he changed my mind, but only if he means summaries instead of these random comments scattered to the source code. As I said before, summaries in C-sharp serve a specific documentation purpose, so if he means those, I will fully agree with him. But he says, and I quote, The overall idea behind comments is to capture information that was in the mind of the designer but couldn't be represented in the code. End quote. And again, I'm, I'm not so sure. I know what he means, but still, I think that technical designs and UML diagrams, etc. serve this purpose as well. And they, have, uh, they are not managed within the source code. He even says the following, and I quote again, Without documentation, future developers will have to derive or guess at the developer's original knowledge. This will take additional time, and there is a risk of bugs if the new developer misunderstands the original developer's intentions. Comments are valuable even when the original designer is the one making the changes. If it has been more than a few weeks since you last worked on a piece of code, you will have forgotten many of the details of the original design. End quote. So I agree that summaries would serve a nice purpose while developing. But I just think that all of this high-level documentation, design decisions and other important decision-making should be documented elsewhere than in comments. This is why we have products like wikis or Confluence, for example. And he then refers back to chapter 2, where he describes how complexity can manifest itself in software systems. There are three, remember? There was change amplification. A seemingly simple change requires code modifications in many places. There's two, cognitive load. In order to make a change, the developer must accumulate a large amount of information. And three, unknown unknowns. It is unclear to make a change and what code needs to be modified. And Professor Oosterhout says that comments can help you with the last two of these issues. So cognitive load and unknown unknowns. He says that documentation can reduce the cognitive load by providing developers with the information they need to make changes and by making it easy for developers to ignore information that is irrelevant. And I fully agree here. And note that he specifically says documentation, not comments. So I agree. Documentation will reduce the cognitive load for developers. I just think that this documentation is often found in other places than massive common blocks. And I suppose John would agree with me, and I think Uncle Bob would as well. And he also says that, and I quote, documentation can also reduce the unknown unknowns by clarifying the structure of the system, so that it is clear what information and code is relevant for any given change. And I agree again, especially because he says documentation can do this and not uh, comment specifically. So that's it for chapter 11 why we write comments, and the four excuses. I've been ranting a lot of the, uh, about this chapter, and I hope you understand my opinion. I think that comments that are written as summaries have a place in code. They can provide meaningful information and serve as documentation. But I just don't think you should abuse these summaries and only document things this way. I think documentation in wikis or things like Alashian uh, Confluence make much more sense than writing it all down in comments since comments are only available to developers uh, through source code. 
but you want this kind of documentation also to be available to other stakeholders as well. You don't want some like game producer or even a CTO uh, having to clone the Git repo and view the documentation in there. But yeah, I do agree with Professor Oosterhout that proper summaries are often a good practice. So let's see what he has to say in chapter 13. And the title of the chapter is Comments should describe things that aren't obvious from the code. And well, this immediately triggers me. I feel like good code is self-describing and when writing lots of comments is, yeah, well, as Uncle Bob says, a failure to express ourselves in code. But I think we have to assume from now on that with comments, John means summaries in a C-sharp context. And if so, I agree. So let's from now on assume that he means summaries instead of comments, because uh, then I think the upcoming chapters um, make much more sense and I don't uh, have to feel that I disagree as much. So as the title of the chapter implies, comments should describe things that aren't obvious from the code. And I think the example he gave uh, with the substring implementation is a very nice one. It's about the indexes being inclusive or exclusive to the algorithm. And I think if you have used some um, random number generators like system.random or unityengine.random, you have ran into the issue where you thought the limit was inclusive or exclusive. Summaries would serve as proper documentation here to provide the caller of the code with this information through IntelliSense. Uh, because it will be picked up and be shown in your IDE. And John says that often low-level details are not so obvious. And I agree. High-level concepts are easy to describe when you follow like domain-driven design concepts. But low-level implementation details might require some extra documentation that may be written as summaries straight in the source code. So yeah, John is totally right. He also says that these comments can lift the level of abstraction because if the comment is good, you don't need to read the code. And yeah, I agree again. When you write proper uh, informative summaries about functions, you do not need to read the implementation. I do, however, still think that the function name should also reflect properly what the implementation is doing. But as with the substring example, for example, um, Sometimes it's really nice to add just a little bit of metadata about what the function does. This also makes it easier for a developer to discover what the function does and thus reduce uh, the cognitive load. And he then says something really interesting, and I quote, Developers should be able to understand the abstraction provided by a module without reading any code other than the external uh, visible declarations, end quote. And this implies that developers ought to provide summaries for public APIs, which makes perfect sense, by the way. And I think the perfect example of this would be like the open API specifications for documenting like web endpoints. I think if you have ever needed to like implement some web API, you have you are you probably know Swagger. It's this really nice visual and even functional web documentation format. And Professor Aushaus says that he will teach you to write good comments in this upcoming chapter. So let's dive in and find out what advice uh, that is. 
and his first piece of advice is to pick conventions so that all your comments are of the same format and everyone knows how to write them. And he starts off by saying something I expected. I could not remember this anymore, but now it all makes sense. And he actually says this, and I quote, If you are programming in a language, for example, there exists a document compilation tool, such as javadoc for Java, or Doxygen for C++, or Godoc for Go. This is exactly what we have been assuming. We assume that John meant summaries when he was talking about comments, uh, and now he says it himself. So just to make things clear, summaries are these common blocks in C Sharp with three front slashes, which say a summary in sort of XML tags. You can provide like meaningful information or comments in between the opening and closing tags. And these summaries are generated when you type three slashes uh, above properties, fields, uh, methods, and class definitions. And when you define a summary, you will have the opportunity to document each parameter of the function as well, and also its return value and even the exception it might throw. And these summaries will then uh, be shown by IntelliSense when you are programming and are about to use or call something uh, on that class. So your IDE will show a little pop-up with the information that's in the summary. This is really helpful, especially with things like inclusive uh, indexes for the substring methods or random functions. So I think I can fully agree with John about this. This will indeed also debunk the four main excuses not to write comments, or should I say summaries, which we talked about in the previous chapter. So let's continue with the advice um, on how to pick conventions. John says that conventions serve two purposes. First, they ensure consistency, and second, they help you ensure that you actually write comments. If you don't have a clear idea of what you are going to comment, you won't actually write them. And then you end up with no comments at all. And he says that comments fall into one of the following categories. And he lists four. First, there is interface. These comments would uh, be summaries of methods. They describe the interface of a class uh, on how functions work and what the parameters mean. Like if indexes are inclusive or exclusive. And second, there is data structure members. These would be the summaries above properties and fields. They would describe what these member variables or public facing properties would mean. Just remember not to add the sum, uh, not to add like a summary saying player above a property named player. That will, does not provide any new meaningful information. So you might as well remove the comment. Don't be dogmatic about writing comments everywhere because you will end up with these redundant comments simply repeating the implementation. And third is the implementation comment, which is a comment inside the code of a method or function which describes how the code works internally. And well, now I disagree again. This seemingly random inline comments aren't summaries and thus will not show up through IntelliSense and thus you'll probably not read them anyway. These are the comments that will get outdated and spread lies and misinformation. I'll probably delete them as soon as I can. And if they provide some meaningful implementation details, I'll add that information to the summary. But that does not happen often, and most of the time I'll just delete these randomly inlined comments. 
And fourth is the cross module comments, which are comments that describe dependencies that cross module boundaries. And this sounds like something that is very useful, but I don't know why or where you would add these comments um, because where would they make sense while program programming and invoking uh, like IntelliSense? This kind of high-level documentation ought to be visualized in diagrams or your documentation like wiki or confluence pages, for example. Should this really be in the code? I don't think so, if you ask me. He says, however, that the most important categories of comments fall into the first two, which were interface and data structure comments. So summaries above classes and methods and their properties and variables. And he also says that implementation comments are often unnecessary, which I totally agree with. And these cross-module comments are very, very rare because they are problematic to write. And John says um, <clears throat> he'll explain why in a later section of this chapter. And I think that's going to be pretty interesting because I can't really remember what these comments ought to be. But we will do that in the next episode since this episode has been going on for long enough. And I hope this stuff was informative and well, you learned something. We have discussed the concept of designing things twice and why it is a good idea to do so. And we have discussed the four excuses not to write comments, which I feel comes straight from the clean code book. Please let me know what, what's your opinion about all this. Um, you can send me an email at podcast at allthingsunity.com. That is podcast at allthingsunity.com. And we started our discussion about chapter 13, what comments are good to write and how to write them. And in the next episode, we will dive deeper into the details on how to actually write these comments. So thank you for listening, and I hope you join me for the next time as well. And please, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Currently, you, you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Podbean. It's greatly appreciated if you leave me a review and maybe some comments. Plus, you can contact me at podcast at allthingsunity.com. So that's it. Um, thanks again. Uh, till next time. And remember, with Unity, we can do great things. Game over.